Francisco. Well, good evening and welcome to our Good Friday service. It's a term that is a strange one for those who are new to a service like this or to following the days of the Holy Week. To think of this day, the day that we remember the death of Christ as one that is good. I think it was one of our children who said this should be called Bad Friday. Let me read to you Matthew's account of the last hours of Jesus' life on earth on what is to be the worst day in human history. Matthew 27, the beginning of verse 32, and I'll read down through verse 54 if you want to follow along on a phone or a tablet, because for many of you, it's too dark to read your Bibles, I'm sure. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a school, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask for your grace in this time as we remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for us and for our sins. Would you grant us grace to hear and be reminded of a very familiar story and yet this evening to hear with fresh ears? Would you open our hearts to hear your word and would you grant us grace by your spirit to not only in its hearing to hear but to obey and to receive it as just that, which is your word, which is truth for us as your people. 
And would you grant us life afresh, even this evening, from this story that we read, from these truths that we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the worst thing that has ever happened to you? I'm not talking about how frequently or flippantly we use the phrase, the worst. Like when your favorite flavor of toothpaste is not in, and you have to settle for wintergreen instead of peppermint. That is not the worst. But what has been the worst for you? This will no doubt differ for each person or family based on your life events and how you process thing, things. Even members of the same family who have gone through most of the same events might say something different was the worst based on how it affected them. Moving, for one, can be very hard on people. Losing a loved one ranks right up there with the worst of things, doesn't it? A devastating car accident or a house fire can be something that marks a life for a very long time. Any kind of betrayal is a horrible thing to go through. However, I would venture to say that while all of those things are awful, we have survived them. Have we not? And we are here tonight, affected by all of them for sure, but alive and present. Wounded, grieving, stained, or scarred, but but here, breathing, a beating heart, with painful memories and tears, but now a life that is shaped by those difficulties, not defeated by them. For some of you, you may have wished in that moment of pain and suffering that you were taken and finally defeated. But it might be that now months or years later, you see completely differently than you did when the wound was fresh and the hurt was so painful. There's a story in the Bible that seems pretty awful. It's not the one that we read from Matthew 27, but it alludes to it. It's a story of a whole nation of people that is affected and many are killed, all because of their grumbling and complaining. And if you or I were living then in those days in the midst of that nation, it would probably on that day seem to be the worst. The story is in Numbers 21, and it's only a few verses long. Numbers 21 and beginning in verse 4 says, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses, grumbling, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, the food that rains down from the heavens every single day for them. But we loathe this food that you have given to us. Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten... When he sees it, shall live. 
So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That seems pretty terrible, doesn't it? That would be the worst, right? I don't know about you, but I am not at all a fan of snakes. The very idea of reading the phrase, fiery serpents, sends chills through my body. Fiery serpents coming at you, biting you, and causing you to die. Just looking at this passage prompted me to look on the internet at the world's most deadliest snakes. Don't do that if you don't like snakes. But this seems like the worst, but it's not. Even though the whole nation of Israel was affected immediately after sinning, it's not the worst. Can you imagine if every time that you or I sinned, that there was a fiery serpent coming after you to punish you? The people of Israel, though, were given hope in the bronze serpent on the pole. By faith and looking at that bronze snake, they were spared death, and the snake bite would not kill them. Can you even imagine someone getting bit by the snake, knowing in that land at that time that there was a bronze serpent that they could look at and be healed, and yet they did not even want to go and look at it? They just wanted to stay in their pain and die? We can't imagine that at all. No one would do that when given the opportunity of such an ease of healing and hope. We cannot also imagine someone who knew about the hope of the bronze serpent, who saw their friend get bit by a snake, start writhing around in pain, and then not share with their friend that there was the hope of a bronze serpent. No one would do that. If you saw your friend get bit, you would carry them to the bronze serpent so they could look at it. You would do everything that you could to turn their head even that they might be able to look at it. Of course you would. It's not the worst, because the worst offers no hope. In this story, there's lots of hope. That day, that scenario is not the worst that there ever was. While the fiery serpents were sent to Israel, immediately after they sinned, there was still hope. The serpents did not last forever, thank the Lord, and there was a cure for the snake bite. But can you imagine if God's hatred of sin, which is called his wrath, was always on you, ready to strike you the second that you sinned? Imagine if you were punished immediately for every sin that you committed. No hiding, no breaks, no warnings, and death itself would bring no hope. The worst that you or I have ever seen so far is not the worst that exists. The worst thing that exists is to be under the wrath of God forever. The truth is though that all of us were born under, is that we were all born under the wrath of God. We were born in sin and desperately in need of hope. It is like we were born with a snake bite already, and we desperately needed the bronze serpent on the pole to look at. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So since we are no longer talking about snake bites, but sin, 
And every one of us knows that we have sinned against God by disobeying His laws and that His wrath rests on us. The question appropriately asked is, where is our bronze serpent on the pole? Where is our hope? Just before one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Did you see that? Not just saving someone from a snake bite, which is horribly, uh, sounds absolutely horrifying, but thankful you can be saved from one. Not just saving someone from a snake bite, but saving them forever. The wrath of God that was upon us was not something temporary, but something that will never leave us unless, like with the bronze serpent, there is hope in looking to Jesus. John chapter 3 A few verses later in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This time we are not looking at a snake for temporal healing, but we are looking to the eternal Son of God for everlasting life. And this was promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when a serpent, in fact, first introduced sin and death and its curses to humanity. When God cursed the serpent, whom Revelation 21 calls Satan, he says in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Jesus comes not as a serpent on a pole, but as the snake crusher on the cross. Jesus was not fastened or forcibly shaped to the cross by someone else, but he came willingly, taking our sin and punishment on himself. And in the worst situation imaginable of being under the wrath of God, Jesus came and took our worst on himself and gave us life instead. He took the wrath that we fully deserved, and he gave us peace with God, peace that was his since before the world existed. He took your worst day ever so that you might only have good days forever, that in this worst of days in all of human history, we might call it Good Friday. Jesus lets us, the Barabbas of the story, go free, and he took the cross and the curse of God that was ours for us. Barabbas in the story deserved to die. He was a murderer and insurrectionist, and yet he goes free, and Jesus takes his place. I just heard this from Jim Davis this morning in a video on Good Friday, and yet every time I read that passage before, I hated the crowd for making this horrible exchange. They took the guilty one and hung the innocent man on the cross. And yet Barabbas' situation was equal to mine. And thanks be to God that what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is true. For our sake, 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We did not deserve this grace from God through the work of Jesus on the cross. And honestly, we cannot fully comprehend why he would have done it at all. Jesus had every opportunity to have walked away, but he stayed the course. He drank the full cup of God's wrath for us. I think of the lyrics of the song, Jesus, thank you, where it says the mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. For those who have never looked to Jesus on the cross, dying for your sins, look now with eyes of faith and cry out to him to save you. Your condition is far worse than a snake bite from a fiery serpent. But your rescuer is far greater, and the hope of his healing lasts far longer. Trust in him who brings you to God. The one who took God's wrath for you stands ready to receive you now and for all of eternity. And for those of you who have trusted in Jesus to save you, turn again to Jesus Look on him hanging on the tree for you. And let the story and the image of his broken and bloodied body shape your every day. That both your best days and your worst days are not simply extremes, but are steadied by the good and loving hands of Jesus who died for you. He has brought you to God. He has made you to be at peace with God, and he is even now praying for you before God as you and I continue to sin and continue to not trust in him always. Look to him now and look to him often. And for all of us, let us bring others to look to him as well. Those who are lost in their sins and without hope need to know that there is a Savior who gave his life for them, one who is a living hope for them. Would you point others to the Savior who is on a cross, who was on the cross for their sins? This evening, not only do we get to sing and to read the scriptures, to hear from other believers who have gone before in words that they craft in poetry form, but we also get to partake this morning, this evening as we obey the command that Christ gives to us to remember his death until he comes. This evening, we as a church family get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And while this evening, in the dark, with mournful songs and passages of his death, does 
not at all ring the bells of celebration. We know the truth is that in God's economy, what Christ did on the cross for us was the greatest sacrifice of all time and one for which we will be thankful for all of eternity. So this evening, in just a moment, we'll have our elders come forward and be able to break bread and pass out a cup of juice for you to remember his broken body and his blood that was shed on your behalf on this evening 2,000 plus years ago. And as we do so, we ask that only those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus alone, who have looked to the Savior on the cross with eyes of faith and called on Him to be their Savior, that only those would come and partake. Those who can do so with thankful hearts, remembering His sacrifice as their only hope. And that those who have not yet come, that you would to Jesus, would stay in your seats, and that this might be a time of recognizing, seeing your sin and your need for Christ, and that we would not want you to come and take in a way that would only bring possible judgment on yourself and thinking you are a Christian if you know inside that you are not. So whether you're a member of this church or not, we ask that if you have come to faith in Jesus and you are a Christian, that you may come and join us at this table, eat and drink and remember his death until he comes. Like Bobby did earlier at the beginning of our service, I'm going to give about 60 seconds or so of quiet where we get to pray. In that time, being able to recall our lives these last few days, since we took communion last or last few days since we came before our Savior in prayer and confession, come before Jesus, look to Him afresh, confess your sins. If they have not yet been confessed, there are sins you know that need to be taken care of to do just that, to be able to put your faith and trust in Him again, to thank Him for all that He has done for you, to worship by means of prayer. So take about 60 seconds of quiet. And then as music starts to play quietly, you come forward. Our elders will be up here. And you come, and you in thanksgiving, mournfully and celebrating, remember the death of Christ with us at the table. We'll have two lines that can come up, one over here, one over here. Elders will be up here ready uh, to receive you as you come. So you pray, and then come.